Welcome to the Living by Faith podcast. My name is Josh DeGroat, and this is episode number 11. Thanks for checking it out. This is a podcast where we look at news items, theology, and history, all from the perspective of the Christian's life of faith in Jesus Christ. Let's jump in. Black Lives Matter and Systemic Racism. These are two phrases that we hear a lot today, and often they're used in the same context. First, Black Lives Matter. There's the statement and there's the organization. When we say Black Lives Matter, as far as the statement, it's an obvious truth. Black lives matter. Of course they do. Including the black lives of men who are killed by police officers, as well as the ones shot in the streets of Los Angeles or Chicago, and also black lives that are killed in the womb. When it comes to the organization Black Lives Matter, it seems like the only black lives that matter to them are those that are killed or those that are taken by the hands of police officers, which accounts for only a tiny percentage of all black deaths. It's much more likely for a black man to be gunned down in one of our large cities by another black man than for him to be shot and killed by a police officer. And clearly, the most dangerous place in the world for a black person, or any person for that matter, is in the womb of his or her mother. But nobody lobbying for Black Lives Matter, at least nobody I've heard, is saying anything about this. According to their own website and the words of their own leaders, Black Lives Matter is a Marxist revolutionary organization run through with racism of their own. Now, they wouldn't say it's racism because they would say that black people can't be racist. But make no mistake about it, it is racism in the plain old meaning of the word. In fact, a leader in the Toronto chapter of Black Lives Matter recently said, white skin is subhuman. She goes on to say a lot of other things, and trust me, what I just shared to you is the nice part. Now, that used to be seen as racism, but in the new era, with the new definition of racism, it is, of course, not, because we live in the era of systemic racism. Systemic racism is more about institutions and systems and groups of people rather than individuals who have motivations in their hearts and say things with their mouths and do things with their hands that would be described as racist. That's how we used to define racism. But the the game has been changed in our day. But I digress for now. I want to go back to the subject of abortion, um, especially the the abortion of African-American babies in the womb. This is one of the clear cases of what I would describe or what I would say is systemic racism in America right now and it's having deadly effects. And we can actually see this. It's not, an, it's not just an idea. It's not just, um, it's not just uh, rhetoric. We actually see it. The, the abortion industry from its inception and the American government's complicity in it has targeted black lives. And remember, black lives matter. Margaret Sanger, perhaps you've heard that name before. She is the founder of what has become Planned Parenthood. She was a rabid racist and a eugenicist who, who thought that certain people, namely disabled people and minorities and so forth, should not be allowed to procreate. In fact, she created something called the Negro Project, which was designed to sterilize unknown, unknowing black women and others she deemed as undesirables of, a, of society. 
She's quoted as having said the following, quote, colored people are like human weeds and need to be exterminated, unquote. Now that is evil to the core. But the question I, I want to ask is, has her vision been carried out? Well, let's look at Planned Parenthood, which is without question the largest abortion provider in America. Did you know that 78% of their clinics, what I call abortion mills, are in minority communities? Also, did you know that blacks, which make up 12% of the, of the nation's population, accounts for 35% of all abortions? For every two African-American women, one will choose to abort her child. In New York City alone, African-American abortions outpace live births. Think about that. There are more black babies aborted than born in New York City. This is stunning and heartbreaking, and I would suggest it's the most obvious form of systemic racism in America. Let's not forget that the U.S. government gives Planned Parenthood over $500 million in federal funding. Now, make no mistake about it, racism is sin. It is a heinous sin in all of its forms, whether it's a white racist against black people or the other way around or any form of racism. And as Christians, we understand why this is such a heinous sin. Because God the Creator crafted each and every person in his own image. And not just generally, but he crafted specifically people with different skin color in his own image and from different ethnicities and cultures. They were all created by God and for God's glory. And so hate of any ethnic group is a manifestation of enmity with God. We need to understand that. It is a manifestation of enmity against God. And it's serious. The sin of racism will be judged. God hates it. And people will be cast headlong into the lake of fire forever for the sin of racism. It's that serious. But we also need to remember that Jesus died to redeem people from every ethnic tribe, eth every ethnicity, every tribe, every language. In Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, we hear the song of the Lamb, the song of the Lamb who was slain. And here's what it says. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Jesus hung on a cross, his blood was poured out to save and ransom and redeem people for God from every language, tribe, people, and nation. That's amazing. And therefore, the sin of racism can only be decisively dealt with and forgiven by the cross of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what color your skin is, black, white, or brown, only the crimson blood of Jesus, which washes away the sin of racism. The next section is what I call the catechesis section. This is uh, where we're making our way through a modern catechism. 
this was uh, practiced for centuries where Christians would learn the, the doctrines of the Christian faith by way of catechesis, which simply means to teach orally or instruct by word of mouth, questions and answers that would uh, enable someone to go through all the important doctrines of the Christian faith. I think when you look at the landscape of the Christian church, this is sorely missing in our day. I think there's a widespread doctrinal and theological and biblical ignorance in the church. And so I want to just promote this practice. So what we're doing is making our way through a modern catechism called the New City Catechism. There's 52 questions and answers uh, with a scripture for each one. So we are on question 11 this week. Question 11 asks this, what does God require in the 6th, 7th, and 8th commandments? Now the answer is long, so buckle up. Here's what it says. Answer, sixth, that we do not hurt or hate or be hostile to our neighbor, but be patient and peaceful, pursuing even our enemies with love. Seventh, that we abstain from sexual immorality and live purely and faithfully, whether in marriage or in single life, avoiding all impure actions, looks, words, thoughts, or desires, and whatever might lead to them. Eighth, that we do not take without permission that which belongs to someone else, nor withhold any good from someone we might benefit. You can see from the answer that it goes way beyond merely outward actions and gets to the heart of the law. The sixth commandment in Exodus chapter 20 simply says you shall not murder. But if you remember, Jesus expands on this in the Sermon on the Mount and says, if you have anger in your heart and you call your brother a fool, you've murdered him in your heart. The seventh commandment, again in Exodus 20, simply says you shall not commit adultery. But Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says that if you, have, if you look at a woman with lustful intent in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. The eighth commandment in Exodus 20 simply says you shall not steal. Um, the, the point is that the law addresses not only our outward actions, but our hearts from which our actions flow. Therefore, Martin Lloyd-Jones said that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount shows that an evil desire is as damnable as a deed. A thought and an imagination are as reprehensible in the sight of God as the act committed. Now, this ought to make it abundantly clear that you and I are utterly incapable of keeping the law perfectly in action as well as motivation and thoughts and imagination. And um, the law needs to be kept perfectly in order for us to be saved. And, and so the, the gospel is such precious news when we realize this because we need someone else to keep the law for us and to be given the righteousness of another because we don't possess it ourselves. And this is the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that through faith in Christ, his perfect obedience to the law at every point, he never disobeyed the law, he never sinned, not even once. His perfect obedience, his perfect righteousness is counted as ours. But it's important also to recognize that the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't absolve us from our obligation to obey the Ten Commandments. Rather, it empowers us to obey them. For the law is summed up by the commands to love God and to love our neighbor. And through the, the new birth, through the new birth and our faith in Jesus Christ, we are given a new heart, 
with new desires. The law of God is written on our hearts so that we obey the law, not perfectly. We don't obey it perfectly, but we do obey it from the heart. At one point in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, our righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. Now, they, they did a pretty good job at keeping up appearances outwardly, but Jesus says their, their hearts were full of wickedness and evil and defilement. And so when our hearts are changed by the gospel, we, though we don't obey the, the law perfectly, we, we stand before God in the righteousness of Christ. We do obey the law truly as we uh, seek to live in the power of the Spirit with a new heart and the law of God written on our hearts. The scripture for question and answer number 11 is from Romans 13, and it says this, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In the history section this week, I want to look at a couple of men who were uh, put to death for their faith in Jesus Christ. And before I do that, I just want to think, think about for a moment, why do we do this history section? Why, why, do, we, why, why do we do this? And it's, it's for this reason. We have to know our history. It's so important that we understand the historical roots of our faith and how the church has grown and spread throughout the history of the world, often through the intense fires of persecution. Many of the heroes of the faith uh, that, for, since the time of the Bible, um, have joined the great cloud of witnesses near the end of Hebrews who suffered martyrdom for their faith in Christ and commitment to his lordship. And so today and next week, I want to take a look at three men who were burned at the stake during the reign of terror of a woman named Mary Tudor, Queen of England, who was infamously known as Bloody Mary. Now, she received this nickname for obvious reasons, because of her murderous attempt to stamp out all resistance. Bloody Mary was crowned in the summer of 1553, and soon after she was crowned queen, she moved quickly to eradicate the effects of the Protestant Reformation and drag the Church of England back into the Roman Catholic Church. Two men that stood in her way were Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley. Latimer and Ridley faithfully labored to spread the Protestant Reformation in England. Nicholas Ridley, he was Bishop of, of London, and he was a brilliant scholar and faithful minister. He was most known for, for his work in writing uh, two books. One was the Common Book of Prayer, and the other was the Articles of Religion. These two books uh, laid down the worship practices and beliefs of the Church of England. Hugh Latimer Latimer was primarily known for his bold, courageous, fiery proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, for over 25 years, these two men worked faithfully. But in 1553, shortly after Bloody Mary came into power, she ordered soldiers to arrest Latimer and Ridley and throw them into the dungeon of the Tower of London. Their books were condemned along with those of Luther, Tyndale, and other reformational leaders. For months, Latimer and Ridley languished in this dungeon before they were sent to Oxford for trial. During the time of their trial, it was a two-day trial, a great crowd gathered in Oxford to see the trial of these two renowned bishops. Swear allegiance to the Pope, confess your heresies, and you will live, the tribunal's chief accuser demanded. 
But Latimer and Ridley stood their ground and responded to the accusations of false teaching with the scriptures. After two days of hearings, the church excommunicated Latimer and Ridley and turned them over to the crown in order to be burned at the stake. On October 16, 1555, a huge crowd gathered to watch the executions of these two faithful ministers of Christ. When they met at the stake to be burned, Latimer and Ridley embraced and encouraged each other. Nicholas Ridley smiled and said to Latimer, Be of good cheer, brother, for God will either ease the pain of the flames or else strengthen us to endure it. What faith he had! Latimer nodded and said, God is faithful. After a message was preached against Latimer and Ridley by Catholic priests condemning them of terrible heresies, they were strapped to the stake with a single iron chain and surrounded by straw and wood. As the guard stepped forward with a torch, Latimer said one of the epic lines in all of church history. Well, I should say, in my opinion, one of the epic lines in all of church history. He turned to Ridley and said, now now just think of this, Latimer was like Ridley's older brother. Latimer was 75, Ridley was a much younger man. He turned to Ridley and said, be of good cheer, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day, by God's grace, light such a candle in England as I trust shall never be put out. As the flames rose up, Ridley shouted loudly, Lord, receive my spirit. And Latimer also said, Lord, receive my soul. What a story. This is part of our history as Christians. And it's through the courage of faithful men and women like Latimer and Ridley and hundreds and thousands of others that Jesus Christ has and is still building his church. As our Lord said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is our confidence that in our labors for the Lord, he is working and building his church and he will continue to do so until he returns, which is our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening to the Living by Faith podcast. If you found it helpful, please subscribe, like, and share. Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all.